Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we're awakening the world to the reality of Jesus. One of the most common questions that I get as a pastor is, how is my job if I'm an engineer or a barista or if I'm studying um, an equine major in university or I'm a doctor or you name the profession? What does that have to do with my life of faith? If God is in the church, and if discipleship bands are the truly spiritual things, then how do I actually serve God with my nine to five? I get this both from um, stay-at-home moms and lawyers, this question alike. What does God have to do with my day to day? You know, it's our conviction as people do house church that God wants to transform society to look more like the kingdom of heaven through our daily actions, through the transformation of what we do with our hands and our feet, through our prayer lives and the practical things that we involve ourselves with day to day. And to do a deep dive into how God can use us to receive the kingdom right where we're at in our workplace or in our home life, if that's your nine to five, we are going to have an emphasis weekend, the first weekend of March on, we're calling it Kingdom X Profession. That's our uh, grand branding to it. But uh, Krista Buckle and Rob Lynn are going to help us um, a Saturday night, March 2nd, and Sunday night, our regular all gathering time, March 3rd. We encourage you to come out to this. This is a key way that we are investing into the missional and outreach life of our house church network over the course of this next year. It will be a primary thing that we invest in as a community over the coming months, and this is our breach into the subject, our breach into the topic. We're going to deep dive together on how God can use us, the giftings that he's given us for the workplace and for our everyday lives to receive kingdom right where we're at. So first weekend of March, we encourage you to come. Also, know that Alpha has started our 10-week discipleship course that is dinner conversations about the basics of life and faith. It, it's designed for people who are not um, conventionally in church or who've been out of church or are seeking for the very first time. We had our largest Alpha gathering ever last Tuesday. We had 31 people. And it went phenomenally, hosted out of the sanctuary. We encourage you, if you have people who are in need of community or in need of conversation, honest, non-judgmental conversation about life with God or things of faith, then please go ahead and make an invitation from, for them to come to Alpha. There will continue to be a trickle of new people into that fresh started community for the next few weeks, so they'll feel right at home. But to help us with our scripture reading today, um, John Music is going to come and read from Luke 18. This is the parable of the persistent widow is found in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said... In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Heavenly Father, this is an important teaching for us because we don't understand the importance of being persistent in coming to you. You're not a genie. We can't do rub the lamp three times and get the answer to our prayer. But we know that you listen. We know that you know that we're your children because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the amazing sacrifice he made for our sins on the cross. And we do, Lord, not want to become faint and grow weary in praying to you. Some of us have things that we've been praying about for years and we haven't heard the answer yet, but we know who you are. You are a just God. You're not an unjust or an unrighteous God. You're just, you're pure, you're holy. You love us, God. So help us be persistent and teach us tonight through what Austin has to share with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. The standard. Yeah. Well, I love that scripture from Luke 18. Uh, many of us have heard it. If you're familiar with it, you've maybe heard it talked about as a persistent widow. Now, Jesus, Jesus' parables are notoriously difficult to interpret. Some of his parables, the disciples will go to immediately after he shares the story, and they'll say to him, uh, Jesus, what is the meaning of this story? And Jesus will say, it's, it's hidden, but here's the meaning. Other parables Jesus would share are still debated today, what they mean. But this parable of the widow, often described as persistent, is plain as day in the scripture from Luke. I like how the NIV states it. Luke says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and to not give up. And so I want a little help today. I've, this might be a little youth groupy. I've never done this before, okay? But if I could do a little call and response here with you. Um, I love the way that, that Luke states it. He says, this parable is to show them that they should always pray and do not give up. So when I say tonight, if you could always pray, I would like for you to respond with, do not give up. Okay, so we're gonna try this a few times. Sound good? I think, I think we can do this, this is gonna be good. All right, always pray. Do not always pray. Do not always pray. Do not now the temptation would be throughout the night as this goes on that we would give up on this call and response. But I want us to always, when I say always pray, my friend Ricky, he one night was wiping the tears away from, from his eyes. Some of us would know Ricky. He's an Old Testament, retired Old Testament professor from, from Lee University. 
But he was wiping his eyes this night at the end of a long prayer session. We were at a gathering of Awakening Project leaders. It's our network of college students and young adults who are pursuing move of God in emerging generations. And people had come in from all over the country, traveled long distances, and we'd spent the weekend talking about what a move of God would look like if it shifted the generations or the college campus. And at the end of that long weekend, many people having traveled a long distance, we had a long group prayer meeting where we prayed that God would in fact send awakening to these generations. And we came to the end of this long night and Ricky said, you know, it would be really great for all of us to pray over each person here individually, of which there were 20, it seemed like. And, um, you know, John prayed for spirits not to wane. And I'm afraid that in that moment, my spirit did recede a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a, a session like that in a house church or in a, a church gathering. But this is typical of, of Ricky. We met um, Ricky six years ago uh, with the Awakening Project. People will just connect us with people who have the same heart. And people kept saying to us, you need to meet Ricky. He leads a group intercession community on campus at Lee University. They call themselves Lee Prayer. You need to go there and, and see what they're doing. And so we did. We traveled down to Cleveland, Tennessee. This was six or seven years ago. And we stepped into one of their prayer gatherings and we're not ready for what we witnessed. There, Ricky had spiritually parented a group of 25 or 30 20 year olds who had spent three times a week, an hour and a half together, four and a half hours a week, early morning, late at night, praying that God would shift their campus and change their generation. I mean, we, we sat in tears as the students poured out their hearts to God, all together participating, giving a voice to their desires and their burdens, um, praying out loud the scriptures, and the presence of God was just, I mean, it's manifest in that place. Ricky was their spiritual parent, for sure, and he has discipled spiritual giants out of that Lee prayer intercessory group. I mean, world changers have come from that community, and Ricky is one of the best leaders and strongest prayer warriors that I know of. So at the Awakening Project Leader Retreat, when we came to the end of that long weekend and Ricky suggested that we continue on praying over each person individually, I knew that I wasn't the only person whose spirit was waning, but not one of us had the courage to tell Ricky no. And so after a few more hours in prayer over each person, we finally came to Ricky's turn we put uh, laid hands on Ricky and prayed over him. We have a picture of that here um, on a slide somewhere. And at the end of that time of prayer, you see him there on the left, Ricky stood up and wiped the tears away from his eyes and took off his glasses and he looked at me confidently and he said, Austin, it's happened. God is doing it, awakening is beginning. We are in it. And me, having prayed for revival and awakening for some odd numbers of years of my life, it had become somewhat routine. I mean, it just been something you do when you get together. I mean, we all want an exciting time in the presence of God. We want our gatherings to be energized, but Ricky wanted something more. 
Ricky had eyes to see something beyond the act or the function or the form of the gathering. Ricky had eyes to act to see with faith what God desired to do in his praying through those four and a half hours a week for the last decade of his life with those 25, 20 somethings coming to this night. He knew the moment of time when he had obtained the object of his desire. That was one of the greatest moments that I've ever had around prayer. That night of prayer that you see in that picture, it's dated in my photo calendar as January 24th, 2023. We are right now coming up on the one year anniversary of the Asbury outpouring taking place February 8th, 2023. That means this prayer gathering happened mere 15 days before the outpouring started. There were 50,000 people that came to Wilmore over the course of the two weeks that the outpouring gatherings took place. The presence and the love of God outpoured and people repented, gave their lives to Jesus, recommitted themselves, were saved, healed, delivered, restored over the course of those couple weeks. And there was one other university that went into a full week of prayer and worship repentance and outpouring in the same way that Asbury did. And that was Lee University. And there was Ricky. And so many of those viral videos, I would pan for him and I'd say, there he is jumping. There he is praying with students, spiritual parent standing behind move of God. Now I would never claim to have started the Asbury outpouring. That would be ridiculous. I don't think I'm in the top 10 people in this room who would be able to do so, okay? But I think there were many prayer groups that God orchestrated in the weeks and region leading up to the outpouring of the love of God on February 8th. It was as if streams of intercessors were moving underground and collided during that time and in that region. And what happened was an explosion of the geyser of God's love, above ground witness of heaven on earth. For instance, the day before the outpouring, there was a group of white pastors and black pastors who came together on campus at Asbury to read the history logs of slavery transactions from centuries ago to mourn the realities of racism and to repent and to pray prayers of forgiveness and restoration and unity. The gospel choir who led in chapel as Zach spoke February the 8th, they spent the night before praying over the pews and the rows in Hughes Auditorium. Student groups spent weeks leading up to that time not knowing what the culmination would be interceding for their campus and for revival. Some of them sit with us tonight. I only highlight my story with, with Ricky because it was one of the most profound lessons of prayer that I've ever received. It was in that moment as Ricky wiped the tears from his eyes and declared that awakening had begun that he taught me to, you ready? Always pray. Always pray. And this is a quality of any Christian community I've ever witnessed that carries the power of the real and tangible love of God, is that they are communities that pray through. This is an old 18th and 19th century revival term for 
taking your personal need, your sin and brokenness, or the brokenness of a world around you, to God in prayer, to always pray until the need is met by the power of God. His will comes into alignment with the things on earth, and his power sets right what is broken. It's when we grab hold of the things that are off in our communities and carry them to our loving Father and do not stop and persist on until we've prayed through the need and we are changed and the world is changed around us, coming into the alignment with God's will. So we as a house church network, in our spiritual families, in our house church gatherings, we want to be pray through communities. College House Church, I want you all to be a pray through community. I want us to be known as a network for praying through what God desires to do within us and around us until that actually happens in the world. If God will awaken the world to the reality of Jesus, if he moves in power beyond what we are capable of doing in our own strength, it will only be because we have embodied his love to the world around us and we have learned to always pray and we do. We do not give up. So today, we're going to practice group intercession. Today, we're going to practice praying through the needs within our lives and within our community. This room, we're going to transform into a prayer room, which should not be strange for us, as that's what the house churches will be like uh, week in and week out and have been for a long time. And I'm excited for us to take this step into a call and response and a discernment of what the Spirit is doing in the room and a pressing in and a praying through together in this corporate setting. I think God is going to mark us during this time. I think we're going to see God move powerfully. And to do that, we want to carry the, the Spirit, so to speak, of the widow in our passage. Don't worry. I haven't forgotten the word. Okay. All right. We're getting to it. Here we are. The widow from the scripture is our prayer hero. She may seem like an unlikely prayer hero from her status in society, but I think it's that exact status that allows us to identify with her, for us to enter into the kind of prayer that she carries. Who she is, is exactly why she's our hero of prayer. This widow is going to be the most vulnerable person in the ancient Jewish society. As a widow, she would have no husband to protect her or to provide for her. She would have no family to take her in in times of need. She would be completely dependent on the generosity of others, all but a beggar. The judge, on the other hand, he's one of the most prestigious members of the society. He holds all the power. But... This highlights to us the extreme vulnerability and risk that she has in going to him. She has nothing to offer the judge except for her need. She has no one to provide for her except for the judge. And because of her low status and position in society, it's a risky and vulnerable thing to go to a judge who doesn't care and who won't listen. I mean, if you notice in the story, the judge isn't exactly a good judge. He's an unjust judge. 
He doesn't show care and concern for her or care and concern for the will of God or care and concern for the law. The widow could have lost faith after going to the judge initially and being turned away. She could have retreated back into her isolation. Her really main mode of existence would have been isolation. She could have retreated into that place and, and kept her need, could have kept from risking the, the public shame of being turned down by, by a judge in the public eye. She could have gone home, carried her need by herself, and learned to live with her affliction. Deal with it, isolate, learn to cope. But the widow did not let a lack of faith or a feeling of shame deter her from continuing to go to the judge. She did again and again and again. And regardless of how obstinately the judge opposed her, she did not become hopeless and simply sink into familiarity with her affliction. She persisted, and because she persisted, the judge gave her the justice that was due to her. Jesus gives us the example of the widow, I believe, because we do stop praying, and we very easily do give up. But like the widow, we have areas of vulnerability. Each of us have blemishes of sin or of imperfection, things that we believe that maybe God would find unacceptable or that others would look down on us for. We have in our house churches the structure of a family-like community that could help to house these things that develop shame and that give strongholds to anxiety and depression and continued sin and but sometimes we're tempted to, instead of going to community or to going to God, to actually take those things and to isolate them. And so when we do, they become areas of deep-seated shame. They become spots where our sin and suffering compounds and we simply learn how to cope through life with this spiritual imbalance. Being certain people in certain settings and being other people with other realities hidden at home. And I think this happens to us because we mistaken God sometimes for our adversary. Ta-da! I hope this is like a, a uh, magic trick where we pull back the curtain and say, there's an adversary in the story. I don't know if you've read it before, but it's not just the widow and the judge. There's, there's an adversary continuing to afflict the widow. Sometimes I think that we don't go to God in prayer. We isolate from God in community because we believe God to be our adversary. We might believe that God might be ready to shame us if we were actually to be vulnerable with him. That if we were to really be honest with God, that he would look on us and he would compound our guilt, compound our shame, that maybe it's up to us to get our lives together and perfect before we actually go to God so that we would be good enough to be with him. We might even believe that God is the one causing the patterns of sin and of brokenness in our lives as a measure and a way to, to punish us. But we know from the cross and Jesus reaching out to all of us on the behalf of God and, and suffering for us and taking on our sin and our pain on the cross so that we could come into relationship with God, that this is the opposite of what God would do if we were to come to him with our honest sin and struggles. 
God is not our adversary. And in the same way, God is not our judge. Some of us isolate because we think God to be the judge in the story. Now, I did misspeak there, okay? God is a judge, but God is a perfect judge. And he's not a fickle judge. And he's not an evil judge. And he's not a judge who lacks care for you. The judge in this story is somehow, I think, how many of us view God as one who's distant and indifferent, one who's bothered when we approach him or doesn't care for us, or if we were to share our need, would throw it back in our face and tell us to get lost and deal with it on our own. But that is, that is not God. God is neither distant like this evil judge, nor is he unloving like our adversary. Jesus is the one who's the opposite of that. He is present and powerful and loving. Jesus is present and powerful and loving. We believe that awakening happens not when one person is elevated or one spiritual gifting comes to light or if there's a viral movement. We believe that awakening happens if we each wake up to the active, present love of Jesus in our lives and learn to respond to that and allow it to transform us. But the key there is to actually believe not that Jesus is present when we die, which of course we believe he is, but that Jesus is present and powerful and loving to save us from the powers of sin, hell, and Satan right now. This whole spiritual life and Christian walk falls apart if God is not the safe place for us to surrender and to take our need. Jesus is present, powerful, and loving, and a community that believes this will pick up the spirit of the widow. We, if we have eyes to see Jesus rightly, will be compelled to, are you ready, always pray. We will always pray. And when we pray, we will be like the widow. We will be bold and not passive. We will be honest and not perfect. We will be consistent and not pretty. The widow had nothing to compel the judge but her persistence and her boldness. She had no power or prestige, but that did not stop her from approaching the judge with her need. Hebrews 4.16 says that because of Jesus, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence and that we will receive mercy and grace to help us in our hour of need. We can be bold in our prayers. We don't have to qualify our prayers with if it's God's will or God, if you like me or God, if you desire to do this. Guess what God will not do if he does not want to do? The things we pray for. But there are things that we can be certain that God wants to do. We can be certain that God wants to pour out his love and healing. We can be certain that God wants to save from sin and bring people into relationship with him. We can be certain that God wants to heal the deepest seated emotional wounds that we and ours in our lives carry. He wants to bring reconciliation in our families and in our communities. God wants to save. He wants to save us. We can go to him boldly. This widow, she also went to the judge with tenacity to the point that the judge, I love this line. I mean, honestly, as I read the scripture, I think of the judge as um, Larry David in Curb Your Enthusiasm. 
Does that make sense? That should cause some of us to chuckle. It's okay to chuckle with that. The judge kind of reminds me, he's sort of like cranky. He doesn't want to be bothered. You know, he's sort of fickle. And the judge says, I'll see that this widow gets what she desires. I'll see that she gets justice or else she might attack me. She might attack me. Have you ever been accused of attacking God in prayer? Does that seem irreligious? This is how Jesus is instructing us to pray. God isn't looking for the pretty. Who here is, has not raised their voice in prayer because we don't feel like we're articulate enough? We're not the theologian. Nobody hands us the mic on the monthly gathering. You know, we, haven't, we don't have degrees or, or we haven't served in the church or we might be new to faith or we might not even be on the faith, be in the faith. And God is saying, don't bring me your pretty, bring me your honest. When we're ready to go with our honest emotions and we are able to give voice to our needs to God with emotional honesty, words of the heart and not just the mouth, this is the prayer that God honors and in the same way, the widow, we don't know how long it took her to obtain her item of justice, her need to be resolved. It certainly doesn't seem like it took it an hour or one try or two tries or a month or two. I mean, it could have taken years and she didn't obtain justice because of her flawless arguments or because she had uh, legal knowledge or acumen or because she had resources to influence the political structures in the area. No, she obtained justice because not that she was perfect or had the perfect case or maybe even merited entirely what she was asking for, but because she was consistent and would not back down in asking for justice until the need was met. God doesn't want our prettiest prayers. He doesn't want our perfection. God wants our honest prayers, and he desires us to go to him constantly. Communities of encounter that see awakening, they will carry this quality of prayer, this praying through until the will of God is done within us and the world around us will mark us or else we will have no movement. Our communities We'll be inert. We will be stagnant. Our lives, our families, our spiritual families will have spiritual inertia unless we see God as present, powerful, loving, and we go to him with boldness and honesty and consistency. That's all it takes to pray. It's just honest emotion, real faith, and persistence. Unlike the widow, we know that the person we go to is not an unloving adversary or a distant judge. The person we go to wants us to approach him as a father. That's how it's described all throughout the scriptures. How many times does Jesus open a prayer with our father? Or when he says, pray like this, pray that your father in heaven will. He says that if an evil father gives good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father pour out the Holy Spirit on those who ask? Unlike the widow, we have a protector and a provider who is perfect, powerful, present, and loving. We can go to God as a father goes to, as a child goes through, goes through their father. When Haven comes to me, it's rarely articulate. You know, it's babbling. She's three. It's screaming. Sometimes it's tantrums. Okay. 
That, okay, the tantrum, she's a little less likely to get what she wants with the tantrum. <laughs> but you know what I really care about is how put together she is. Even how, how offensive she's been. When she's ready to connect, when she has a need and she comes to me, I'm ready to receive her and desiring for good things to take place in her life. God is not callous to our needs. That's why he requires nothing more from our prayers than bold, honest persistence. So when we break up in the room here, we'll have prayer on the stage and prayer out in groups and prayer personally, and there will be a time where we all pray together. And when we do that, what we aren't looking for are perfect prayers or perfect people. We're looking for honesty. We're looking for risk-taking, for people to step up and into prayer, to step out of their comfort zone, to open up before God. And you don't have to be long-winded. There are many recorded prayers of Jesus in the scriptures, none of them longer than 70 words. Brevity is beautiful. All we ask is that you break the sound barrier to your comfort level and a little beyond. You break the sound barrier with your needs towards God. Jesus' heart is simply honored by your surrender. My landlord walked into my living room and I was a little nervous. It was my first year out of university. It was the first post-college house that I lived in and the place was a little run down I lived with two other guys. The rent was really low, and I mean really low, but we were able to drive it through the ground by putting three people in a two bedroom. I mean, I was barely north of $200 a month. It was practically free. All the appliances were ancient. The floors were sinking in. The, the yard was really overgrown and pretty ugly. And even worse than that, it was a little infested with wildlife and animals. Right when I moved in, I was walking through the yard one night and it was dark out. And as I approached the back door, the floodlight came on and I freaked out because I realized two inches away from my face was a possum on a tree at eye level. And I screamed, I ran into my roommates and I said, uh, I said, I said, there's a possum. It was right in front of my face. And they said, don't worry about it. That's just Henry. That's just Henry right there. That's just our possum Henry. So what do you mean it's just Henry? They said, oh yeah, no, we feed Henry. He's nice. He's kind, he won't bother you. It's just Henry. And so when the landlord did something none of our girlfriends would dare do and actually entered into the home, I was a little nervous about how that was gonna go. I didn't know what to expect. And my first surprise was that our landlord um, was a woman and, and an older woman at that. And I think she was equally as surprised at the condition of her property. <laughs> you know, and my second surprise was how eager she was to help us fix the things that were wrong in the, the home. I mean, she kept walking around and looking at things and making suggestions. We can do this or we can do this. And she walked into the living room and she surprised me by saying, we could put blinds on your living room window. I didn't even realize that there weren't blinds there. 
I mean, people were walking up and down the street and could see right into the living room, and it never once crossed my mind, hey, maybe it'd be good for those people to be out there <laughs> and for me to get, you know, some privacy in here. And I sheepishly just responded to her and said, sure, yeah, blinds would, blinds would be great. And she, uh, she said, we can fix all this stuff, and looked at me and said, um, you have not because you, you ask not. And that's when I realized when she said that, that I've been living in a home that I'd become accustomed to rundown conditions. I mean, things were so broken down and filthy that I'd become numb to the possibility of the most basic improvements. I forgot that I could even approach someone to ask for better. You know, the landlord, I recognized her that day for the first time. And from then on until I moved, every time I drive down the street, I would recognize her house because she would be out in front of the yard sometimes. She was just a couple doors down. The landlord wasn't distant. She was, she was close. When she saw the need, she wasn't callous. She was caring and she was approachable and close by. You know, the analogy really works itself out when you think about it. But each of us have areas of need that only God can fix. If we think about the condition of our souls and of our families and of our church and of the city, it becomes obvious when we really open our eyes to see God, what's out of alignment with your purposes? And how can I participate with you in prayer and in sacrifice to help mend those things? They become plain as day. Maybe some of us have grown accustomed to things being so out of whack for so long that we've become numb to the idea that God could bring justice to our lives. So as we pray today, I want us to pray as children with a father. I want us to pray as a widow to the judge, as a hard-headed 22-year-old with their kind elderly landlord. <laughs> I want us to pray with boldness and honesty and courage and persistence that can only use the word faith to describe it. We're gonna have four movements of prayer tonight. One that's prayer for the heart. Another movement of prayer that's in small groups and that's prayer for the home and for the church. And then we're going to do a final movement of prayer that will be all together during a final worship song that's for the city. And my hope is, is that you'll take one step in prayer towards God. What's one inch and one movement towards the throne of grace that we can make, that you can make confidently. I want us to be a community that is marked the quality that the old revivalists and maybe Ricky from Lee University would describe as praying through, praying through. So we're gonna start with the heart. I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes. 
just say, come Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we fix our eyes on you. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and lets me in, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart tonight. Jesus is not standing distant. He's not the angry judge. He's not standing uncaring and unloving, wanting to heap on shame. He's not your accuser. Jesus is, is not the landlord who is indifferent to the condition of your heart. In this verse, we see Jesus, he stands at the door of your heart and knock, will you let him in? I'm going to read these questions just out loud to you for reflection. Jesus, in, in the home of your heart, does he see anything that requires repentance or surrendering? Is there anything in your life that needs healing or deliverance or love? Welcome in the one who carries the love and the power of a good heavenly father. The only one who, if he sees the places of your shame and guilt, can heal you still. I just wanna to speak to these places and say it's okay to come out of hiding. You are safe with Jesus. Is there anything in your life that is broken or out of alignment with God that you've just been accustomed to, you know, the open blinds? Are there any relationships that are broken or hurt that kind of keeps after you or sin or addiction that you struggle to shake? Is there any situation that you know God can heal, but has not? Let's pick up those things in the place of prayer. Will you allow your isolation in God's presence to crystallize within you a holy discontent that things must not stay the same. It's time to pray again. It's time to pick up hope. It's time again to trust that Jesus can still yet save. Some of the things that are coming to mind are, are, are kind of like it's opening up a, a dam to flood, a dam to flood, that it needs to come out in the presence of God. Whether it's repentance or an issue, a person, 
the woman at the well, when Jesus looked at her and said, you have five husbands? It was that same conversation that he said, out of you will flow streams of living water. I encourage you tonight, let the healing presence of the Holy Spirit open up the dam within you. Let your prayer and contending flood out. Some of you may be in a place where you just want to pray. Others of you um, may be in a place where you'd like to share. And, and some of us will be, you know, deeply affected. And others of us will feel clean. You know, we'll just feel like, you know, we're ready to go to the next place. And I do feel that Jesus is helping us in this moment. That he is here and meeting us. And uh, we're gonna widen out of the heart and go into the home and the church. And to do that, I just want us to make a simple step. Don't feel like if you're really meeting with God that you have to break your solo prayer, but um, I encourage you, if you can, if you feel led to share at your comfort level, to get with one or two other people around you and, and give voice to some of the hopes that have arisen in your heart. What is God doing in your heart? Um, speak that to one or two other people and spend some time praying over those needs. We're gonna spend just a couple, few minutes here doing that. We're gonna remain in this posture of prayer and I encourage you to keep your focus on Jesus. I'm just gonna give some simple instructions here. And we're gonna widen the circle a little bit. I encourage you to fan out groups more of six to seven. And we're gonna spend just a couple minutes praying for our homes and for the church. So fan out groups of six to seven. Let's keep this posture of prayer and let's pray over the homes and over our church. If there have been needs stirred up in you that you would like prayer that you know come from a trusted person, um, if you're a, a man, I encourage you, Jeff, would you raise your hand? Jeff Rogers would be willing to pray with you. And um, Maddie and Ashley are up here for any of the women who would want specific prayer as well. But go ahead, please, groups of six to seven, six to seven.
Hannah, Richard, and Colin, if you'd like to come up, that'd be great. So the way that we're going to do this is we're going to take three specific needs to God pertaining to our home life and to our church life. First, we're going to pray for children. And then we're going to pray for our financial well-being. And then we are going to pray for Alpha. So each group, I would like one volunteer for children. In each group, who would be the person to voice a prayer for children? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right. How about the provision and stewardship of finances in each home? Who would be a volunteer for that? And how about for Alpha? How about for Alpha? Would someone give voice in each group a prayer for Alpha? So the way we're gonna do this is we're gonna pray for children. Hannah's gonna pray on the mic for 90 seconds and then we're gonna have someone in your group pray for 90 seconds. And then Richard will pray for finances for 90 seconds, someone in your group will. Does that make sense? Very good. So we're gonna start with prayers for children. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus, thank you that that is our cry, Abba, Father. Jesus, thank you that you are all, you are our Father. And we declare you as Father over every children in our church. God, we declare you and we thank you that you are the Father. We thank you that you love them more than we ever could. We thank you that you long to provide. You have plans to provide more than we ever could. Jesus, do not let us grow comfortable to sick children. Do not let us grow comfortable to children that don't know you. Do not let us grow comfortable to children that are weak and needy. Jesus, we want to be a church that prays and contends for the children. God, I pray that my story would be the one of the many kids that don't have biological families that love you would just fall into Arise's lap and find a, a spiritual family that loves them and cares for them, Jesus. We pray that, that your love would just be poured out on the children of our church family. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are, you are Lord and you are Father over them. And we're needy for you. We come to you again. We love you. We, we trust you. These kids are yours, Jesus. They're yours. They've always been yours, and they will always be yours, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Children prayers, the designated person, please voice a prayer for children. 